Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm privileged to be in conversation with an American television producer from Blown Deadline. And their credits include The Wire, We Own This City, and uh, Treme. Please welcome Nina Noble. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on. I'm, I'm speaking to like kind of like television royalty here, like definitely from the, the local <laughs> front. And I'm just going over the history. I was like, OK, this is a great career. I was like, basic instinct is on this list. I was like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what people don't realize is that, you know, there's another chapter before The Wire. Yeah, that that's what I I may I might have a basic instinct question in the rapid fire so we, we'll we'll talk about it we'll talk about it um, yeah so before we get too deep into it I want to um I want to have you like share share that story uh, like the chapters bef- before the wire the chapters including the wire mm-hmm. and uh, you know how did we get here at this point and if you will you know share a few of your um some of the things that you were watching like growing up. Um, you know, I did everything I could to avoid the film business, actually. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I grew up, my dad was a, was a um, producer and production manager, um, and we grew up on location. Uh, we just kind of went wherever his, his shows were. Um, and that meant, you know, for a kid, like changing schools often in the middle of the year, and just, you know, sort of being displaced quite a bit. Um, and... I, there was no allure for me with the film business. It just seemed, you know, for a kid, kind of boring. Like you had to just stand around a lot on set. You had to be quiet. Like people kept telling you to be quiet. And um, the only good thing was they had a lot of good snacks, usually. <laughs> um, but so I, when I, uh, so, and I didn't grow up really, I, I, I thought about, you know, television shows I watched, we really didn't watch a lot of television. I think um, we went to the theater a lot. Uh, we watched a lot of musicals. We watched musicals on, on uh, television too, movie musicals like West Side Story and Guys and Dolls and Oklahoma and Carousel and Music Man and, you know, all the, that kind of stuff, um, Sound of Music. <clears throat> I think as a family, those were some of the things that we did. Um, but I don't remember, I don't know if we always had a TV. You have to understand that like when we were traveling around from one location to the next, we usually rented a house cause there was mm. three kids and you know, a whole family and mom would just get stuff either from goodwill or sometimes like from the production. Sometimes they had extra bits of set dressing or, you know, folding chairs and tables. And so we, we were sort of like always, had kind of temporary stuff. I remember um, one of my memories is when I went to high school, we kind of settled down by the time I got to high school and I lived in New York. And um, one of my first boyfriends, what really impressed me about him is that he had a whole matching set of, of, of China. Like I had never seen that. And I came home and I was like, mom, the pattern on the plate is the same as the cup. Like you can't (laughs) believe this. And I had never seen that before um, because we just had these odds and ends everywhere we went and we never knew any better. We just thought that's how it was, you know? So, um, so I went to college and I, I studied biology because it was like the furthest, that was my rebellion, <laughs> studying marine biology <laughs> because it was the furthest thing away from film that I could think of. 
That's great. That's, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. Like it, it's, it's funny when people are like, yeah, I have no interest in, in doing this. I'm going to do something very, very left. And then suddenly it's still a way to get back into it. It's still that you find yourself back in there, um, despite exactly. best intentions. So what was your, what was one of the first jobs you had in the industry? Well, I was a production assistant actually, you know, during the summer when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, um, I would sometimes help out my mom. My mom, mom and dad divorced when I was about 10 and mom uh, sort of reinvented herself as a commercial assistant director. And um, so she and doing mostly commercials. Um, so she was working in New York and in the summer, sometimes they need some extra kid to you know help out or whatever. And so that's that's kind of what I used to do. That was that was my first job, and even after I graduated college, what happened after college was that I couldn't really couldn't find a job. Like this was the only job I could get, <laughs> and I always thought being a production assistant, and I always thought I'll just do this for now. You know, to, I also didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and so it was sort of like I'll just do this till I figure it out. Um, and so that's that's what it was. You know, it was. Uh, I think when I graduated college, I think the PA rate at the time was like $200 a week. If you were lucky, maybe 250. And so I just did that. Like really you're just working and sleeping, mm -hmm. you know, with those types of jobs is 14 hours a day and you sleep. And, you know, I wasn't uh, always on a staff staff job. So I'd get a day here or there sometimes made the mistake of uh, booking myself for a night shoot, not realizing and then the next day would be a day shoot. So I'd get home at six in the morning, shower, and go back to work on a different production. Oh, no. Because I hadn't thought thought to ask what the, what the schedule was. I, you know, I just wanted to, to, you know, work. And so then I had, eventually, I'd gotten my 600 days as a production assistant. And people were like, you know, you're eligible to join the Directors Guild. As an assistant director, like, you know, why don't you just do it? And at least, um, you know, you've been making no money all this time. It'll be a decent wage and you'll get, you know, insurance and all this kind of stuff. And I thought about it and, I, you know, it really wasn't the direction I saw myself going in. But, you know, there were there were things about the film business that I liked. I liked going to work at a different place and a different time every day. Like for some people that might just, you know, cause a lot of anxiety, but, you know, I thought that was great. Um, I liked traveling and I had already had the opportunity. I'd been on a few shows where they, you know, flew me to some other location and put me up in a hotel to work. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, and, and I had, you know, sort of figured out I was good at like, you know, just details and being organized and people found me to be useful. I mean, that's the thing about film is that, you only get your next job based on your, your previous job. It's all about mm -hmm. networking and people recommending you, you know, that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And I've, I've been hearing that as, uh, and, and seeing that actually with uh, some of the opportunities that I've gotten um, since, you know, we, we met in person during the, uh, the panel mm -hmm. a few, few months ago at this, well, last month actually. And uh, yeah. I've been asked to do different, different panels, uh, different um, conversations, moderating different things. And I was like, oh, you were referred by this person. And, and this is how you got to me. I was like, this is this is great. And um, kind of being available and doing good work, being to to some degree, I, I guess, available at the end of the day. 
Exactly. Well, available and useful. And, you know, and then worked as an assistant director and then, you know, got to work with a lot of really good directors and really kind of, I think that's probably when I started to learn um, the the craft in, in more of a creative way. I still was on the production side, which had to deal with schedules and logistics and just sort of managing people. But I saw some, some great directors, you know, uh, Alan Parker and Paul Verhoeven and Paul Mazursky, um, um, just hone their craft, how they took that script and, and what their vision mm-hmm. overall, like big picture, you know, of a project was and how, which scenes they spent more time on and which ones they, they didn't. And feature films, I guess I, I kind of miss them now because I've been in television for so long, but something nice about having the luxury of spending, you know, um, three hours on a scene. Yeah. And, and being able to really rehearse and just, um, um, you know, light it in a specific way. I really enjoyed watching those directors worked, working. Um, one of my first features I worked on was with Barry Levinson, um, a movie called The Natural. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I got a call. I was in New York, and I got a call, and they said, can you come to Buffalo tomorrow? I'm like, sure. And, you know, and, like, they they flew me up there and, gave me a hotel room and per diem and that was all pretty nice. And, um, a lot of the show was at night. So we were working basically from, um, from like noon until midnight. That was kind of our schedule every day and six days a week. I should say on location in those days, it was always six days a week. You know, having having one of those that that scenario. I'm I'm looking, I was like the natural, the natural. I was like, Oh snap. I know this movie. Wonder Boy and all of that good stuff. Yeah, it's you know, and that's where I met Robert Redford, who then um and I was I was a production assistant at that time. I wasn't even in the DGA. So then when I had my days, this this uh assistant director, Paul um Peter Giuliano called me and he was like, Um, I have a movie with Robert Redford and I hear he's a little bit difficult and you've worked with him before. Um, are you eligible to join the guild? Can you like do this film with me? And so inadvertently, it was kind of Robert Redford that got me, you know, into the guild. So I had to do all my paperwork and apply and everything. And then because I, because of that, people, there was, there were some at the guild who thought, you know what, she's probably not qualified. Robert Redford's trying to buy her way in, you know, and they held up my application, you know, and then in addition, having two parents who were directors guild members they they were like she's definitely not qualified like Oof. they they really you know thought this is a silver spoon and you know we need to fight this so they held up my application for quite a while but i ended up in the end it was fine and you know i ended up doing the film which was legal eagles not not one of uh ivan reitman's best films but um <laughs> but anyway and thank thank you for for walking us us through that because that's I mean it's it's like we could just talk about that for the entire podcast which is really because I'm, I'm sitting here with like bated breath and like like tell me more tell me more about this but um I, I want to um dive a little bit into it because I hear the the term producer thrown around a lot I'm a producer here I do this I do that 
from your vantage point, how do you define like what you, what your role as a producer is on a sort of like day to day on a production? Because like I said, it's a lot of different titles and different um, ways people go about it. So I'd want to hear your how you view it. Um, yeah, there are a lot of different kinds of producers. You're right. And in feature films, it's actually different from television because in the feature, the executive producer is usually the person that's raised the money. Mm. you know, and, and, or maybe found the source material, um, in television, an executive producer is more of someone that takes a leadership role. Um, but you know, it's definitely present and more hands-on. Um, in fact, when I, um, my first executive producer title was on the wire season three. Um, and when I got that promotion, I called my dad and I was like, so I got this promotion and he was like, Oh no, you know, you gave up a produce by credit for that, for executive producer. You know, those people are nobody because, because in his mind from features, that was, that was the case. He thought I was kind of being put out to pasture, but, um, actually that isn't what happened. But in any case, um, what I do, um, I have sort of found a niche as somebody who translates, I'm really more of a, more of a translator of the writer's vision, sometimes director's vision to everyone else on the show. You know, people have um, different language, different ways of communicating. So um, I'm in all of the writer's meetings. I hear what's important to them about how they're telling the story, how they created the story. And then I have to convey all of that to like, you know, production designers and cinematographers and actors sometimes, um, and directors and, 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 you know, sort of, I think probably because of my background as an assistant director, I really see myself as a support to a director and part of their team. And so we work very closely, um, to, to align, you know, what the overall vision of the writer's are with the vision of the director. I try to allow some space for each director who comes in on episodic television. Often we have a different director for every episode. And so, um, I try to make sure that there's space for that person to bring something and put their, their individual mark on the show. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I, I think that I've been trying to use it, right. Cause I, I, I try to look at things through that lens of like, how do we bring this to fruition? That, that's the way that I've like kind of understood it or have you, because I, I had a little interest in film at one point and still some. But uh, like, how does this come to fruition, whether it's, you know, working with folks, whether it's like, you know, um, raising money, basically just making it happen? Well, that's absolutely correct. It's just in my case, the money is already there. Right. You know, like I, I haven't ever sold a show. I am hired after the show is sold. Or that, that, I mean, my partnership with David Simon, like we just went out to LA last week and, uh, and pitched four different projects. And so those haven't been ordered yet, but, um, so I'm involved, you know, at that point, but I'm not raising money. Got it. Um, but everything else, yeah, everything you say is true. Like I just have to, you know, literally he'll hand me a script and say, okay, make it happen. (laughs) So that, that's like, um, you know, hiring the right people for the show, which sometimes are people, you know, and you've worked with before and sometimes not, you know, I try to really be open to what that particular show needs. 
Sure. Um, and then, you know, where are you going to film it? You know, and then we get into budgeting, um, you know, um, the studio has to approve the budget. It's not ever unlimited. And there's always a little bit of conversations about that. So, you know, how, what's the most efficient way to do it? Makes sense. I, I remember this. Um, I used to watch, uh, well, I'm probably going to tap into it soon, but this uh, documentary was this kind of Q&A that uh, Kevin Smith would do and you know he would direct and his uh, one of his partners, uh, Scott Mosier, was like his like regular like producer, what have you. And he was he would say, throw some money at it. Just figure it out. You got it. Just you, you got to figure it out. Do it. And he's like, meanwhile, Scott's just pulling out his hair in that producer role because it's like yeah. we're going over budget. Yeah. How do we figure this out? Yeah. See, but I, yeah, I, I never think throwing money at it is the right way to do it, though. Right. I think actually when you have more money, sometimes it makes you less creative and resourceful. So when you're looking at a, at a project that something is, is being, if you're being brought in for a project and what is it about that project that really like gets you like jazzed up and gets you interested in it? You know, is it, you know, more oriented around the material is, is it the people that are attached to it? Is it the logistics? Like this could be an easier lift. Um, or is it a combination of those elements? What is it about a project that really gets you interested in signing on and, and wanting to work on a project? Hmm. Um, probably just good writing. Bottom line, like, you know, it can be any genre, but if it's written well, um, I mean, I'm sure it's also the people involved. I have the luxury of choosing the people that I want to be involved sure. in my projects at this point. So, um, but, um, but, but definitely good writing um, because then you can, then, then, um, and, and by that, uh, what I mean is, you know, projects that are written well creatively, but also that have an element of truth to them that, mm. you know, that writers that care about the details and the authenticity of whatever the subject matter is. So, so it's a good, it's a good uh, answer actually, because it segues into this next question that I have for you. It's almost like you have the questions in, in, in beforehand. <laughs> uh, so it's just, it's just our telepathic bond. Oh yeah. 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 It's know? all it's completely contrived. We're just yeah. actors here. It's, it's all this is. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the wire, the corner Trime, which I kind of look at as almost one of those sister shows. Like it, it feels very much I know it's in like New Orleans, but it feels very much like a Baltimore show. Like here's the creative side mm -hmm. of whatever. That's what I feel upon mm -hmm. rewatching it. And as a mm -hmm. person that really likes New Orleans, like that's probably where I'm going to ultimately end up when I relocate uh, or if I relocate rather. I, I like that the storytelling like captures and reflects like the reality of a place, the charm of a place, kind of the culture of the place. That's what I feel. And it makes me kind of like, damn, this is this feels like relatable in this way. How mm. could you say or some of, share some of the thinking that went into like these these properties and you know that brought that sort of authenticity and that relatability? Well, first of all, I mean Treme was Treme was such a gift to us <laughs> to those who worked on it. It was a wonderful. It was five years of going to New Orleans for you know five months a year and being there at the best best time of the year and just really embedding ourselves in the in the culture and the traditions of that place and being so embraced by the people there. And it's still a place that I visit, you know, um, if not every year, every other year, you know, cause I've made good friends there and I, it's sort of part of my, it's just, it, it's very rejuvenating for me to go to New Orleans. Um, and, and, and the fact that HBO was 
able to fund that was willing to fund a show about culture yeah. and about the value, the value of preserving culture. Um, and in a place where, um, where the arts are valued and artists are valued in a different way from, I think anywhere else in this country, um, was, was really quite amazing. Um, and that show honestly wouldn't have happened without Katrina. I mean, um, Eric Overmeyer and David Simon, who were the co uh, creators of the show had, had a love and affection for new Orleans and both, you know, had were frequent visitors and even before the storm and had this idea of this show about these, you know, musicians and artists and chefs in new Orleans couldn't get it sold. And then Katrina happened and the idea of framing the show around um, the storm and, you know, what, you know, why does the city deserve to be saved, mm. you know, um, and, 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 and the value of culture, um, that's what made that show happen. Yeah. So sometimes I guess it's just, you know, the timing, the timing of, of these things. So in, in terms of having that, that sort of like authenticity, that relatability, is it, it it's, it's due to that sort of love of a place and that I want to do justice to it. Cause I think when there's that investment in a place like looking at its many properties that have that, that Baltimore as the, uh, the star, if you will, of a, of a show, uh, is mm-hmm. it, is that kind of the case that's there? Like there's an investment in the place and wanting to do right by it within the framework of telling whatever the story might be. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a, it's about the place, but it's also about the people. It's about giving dignity to stories that sometimes don't get told, mm-hmm. you know, and getting it right. Thank you. I like I like that. That's that's what I what I was feeling because, like I said, uh, you know, I sit there and watch it. And I remember my my partner. She was like, uh, she's like, there's a few. She's like, I hope you don't really like John Goodman. It, it goes left. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh, but like the Clark Peter character, Clark Peter's character, the, the you know Mardi Gras Indian, yeah. uh, Chief Lambro, like you know, you may have gone to New Orleans as a tourist. You may have seen Mardi Gras Indians. You know, yeah. and, um. Uh, and but you know the the idea of really understanding that tradition and that mm-hmm. culture, and 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 you know what that means to a family and what you know happens with a storm like Katrina, you know, like like that's that's things that people don't know, and it and it's a terrific tradition, and it was an honor to be able to portray somebody like that. And, you know, the Guardians of the Flame was a real, is a real Mardi Gras Indian tribe. And the, and that was like the highest honor possible was that they let us use their name. That's great. That's great. That's, that's, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. Now, now I'm going to have to just go back with, with, with having that, those extra details that I wasn't aware of. Now I have to go back through and we watch the show. <laughs> but I have to say the reason, you know, the reason we were able to have the degree of authenticity um, to get those facts right and to, you know, um, have the, the, the blessing of, of people. I mean, really we make these shows for the people who live there in the places that we portray, Sure. you know, and if they, if they like the show and if they feel we got it right, then that's all we really need. It doesn't really matter too much about anybody else, but the reason for that, why, why we got that, I think was, you know, getting out and meeting people and listening to their stories, which a lot of times, um, 
doesn't happen. There's more and more writers who just are in LA mm-hmm. and doing research by, you know, computer and Google and, and not, um, really so directly in touch with the people they write about. Yeah. And you know, I, and I, it shows, it shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like one of the, one of the things that I was, um, looking at and I was, you know, chatting with you a little bit before we got started about going back and forth to Philadelphia uh, I, I, when I do these sort of interviews, I could do them via zoom, but it, it's something about kind of capturing it in the person's place, you know, in that, that location or what have mm-hmm. you. And I think it leads for a richer conversation. Like, uh, I, I remember talking with one dude and it was just, it felt like comedy to me. He's like, my bad, bro. I'm late. I'm stopping over here to get a cheesesteak. You want something? That wouldn't have happened if it was through Zoom, you know what That's I mean? Cool. That's and great. yeah, and I just think that that adds to just some of the some of the culture stuff. It's and it's a throwaway thing, but it's it's really funny and really interesting. I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it goes back to my comment about you know whatever each show needs something different. You know, um, this last show we did, we own this city. We shot in Baltimore, and. I really was concerned about depicting these horrific events that happened in neighborhoods in Baltimore. Cause we um, most often try to film in the place where the thing really happened, mm-hmm. but that means subjecting neighbors to something that, you know, they just had to go through, you know, four or five years ago, you know, that there's still, you know, uh, some lasting trauma around Yeah, that, you know, that was, that was another, you know, thing that we had to figure out was how how we could do that um you know with some integrity that makes and, sense. and why 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 do it you know uh so let's see um i want to talk about uh I, I have two real questions left and then i got those rapid fire questions for you so we got those uh so many listeners would, would know about you from your work on the wire and it's you know, been been 20 years um, since the premiere and the show has been a big part of pop culture uh, for, for better or for worse. And I think the better like it's it's a great show. And I don't think e- even with people talking about it as, as much as they do and not not enough respect is put on the name for it because it's like this was this was done very well. This was great. And um, and it depicted things in a, in a way that made sense, like, you know, being one of those those kids, I was like, oh. I remember this, like one of my teachers back in the day was, was Ed Burns, like at city college, he was my SAT teacher. So so it it definitely (laughs) connects in that sort of way. So I'm like, Oh no, 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 this is, this is legit. What would you say your, your favorite memory from working on the series is? Um, My favorite memory is probably not something that was on screen. It was really more about the family that we, the sense of family that we created on that show. You know, I think by the end we had, um, you know, this was, this was a show that people would drop what they were doing to come back to. We were canceled every year of the wire. Mm-hmm. Um, the wire was not the hit that people perceive it to be now. Um, we were canceled every year. People's contracts lapsed, you know, actors contracts. And then, they would decide they wanted the show for whatever reason, either, you know, because they liked the pitch, but sometimes even because um, of scheduling, because they had a hole in their schedule or some other show wasn't ready in time. Often (laughs) that's how, you know, we snuck in. And, um, you know, the fact that at the end, I think we said we had 95% of the original crew from the pilot. This was the show that people dropped what they were doing 
um, to come back to. Um, it was a show where we all hung out together on the weekends and there was, you know, we had a softball team and we had, um, different kinds of, uh, community activities that we did and, and, and charity work that we did all together. I've never been on a show like that where people choose to spend time together on the weekend after working a 60 hour week together. Oh, wow. That's, that's really cool. (laughs) And, and the other thing is even since look, the wire has been gone for 20 years, right? We still all show up for each other when it counts. You know, there's still this, this, you know, some of us are closer to each other than others, but you know, when things happen, um, we just lost Michael K. Williams, uh, recently, you know, and, and, and we're there for each other when it counts. It's important. It's, it's important in, in hearing about this sort of like connectivity and just people relating. Like it, it's a lot of emotions that, that flow on a, uh, on a set, I would imagine. And, uh, the long hours and in, in connecting with folks or what have you. And, um, yeah, it, it feels natural. And I, I like hearing about, Oh, there's, there's, there's a family component there. There's a connection component there. And, you know, seeing it's like, I think you touched on earlier, almost this sort of referral and kind of like working with people that, you know, they do good stuff or have you, it lends itself naturally to that. The other thing is on a long running show, people have the opportunity to move up, mm-hmm. you know, within the course of the production during the course of the production, you know, it's five, seasons and so you saw people get promoted and you saw people you know buy homes and get married and have kids and so we all were sort of part of each other's you know uh home life in that way as well um that doesn't these days there's more limited series and so it's really hard to to foster that kind of camaraderie so this is the last real question i have for you um, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like the title of the production company, like Blown Deadline, feels a little tongue in cheek. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm wilding. I don't know. But from from your vantage point, what sort of the, what are some of the strategies that you utilize to stay like you know on deadline, like on time and within budget, all of that good stuff on a project? Because I thought the name was kind of funny as 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 I kept looking at it, and I was like, Nah, that's not what it means. Yeah, first of all, that's David's. Um, David Simon's company is Blown Deadline, and he he coined the name, you know, because he's he's a writer. Sometimes, you know, late on deadline, and I think he thought it was funny, you know, that somebody would want to go into business with Blown Deadline, and you know, for 22 years, whenever he has a script that's late to HBO or whatever, he's like, "Look, you hired Blown Deadline. What do you what what do you expect?" You know, so so that that um that comes from him. I can't really take credit for that, but as far as, you know, staying on, on task and everything, I think for me, it's all about preparation. It's all about like starting early, um, being prepared, communicating, you know, well, so that other people know what to expect. So with that, thank you. Thank you for that. Cause, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And with that, I think we're able to move into the rapid fire portion of today's, uh, conversation. <laughs> okay. Um, these these questions are ridiculous. Just just to let you know, um, and you already know that because you're a listener. So and thanks for listening. Uh, so I want to start off with. Um, so you, you touched on earlier uh, traveling, right? So wh- what's one of the favorite places that you visited? Like what what sticks out? Like whether it's for work or things that uh, you've you places that you visited like afterwards. But what's a place that really sticks out? And you're like, no, I really like this place. This is this is a place for me. It's my speed, my type of people, my type of food, things of that nature. Well, absolutely, New Orleans. 
but I can only eat the food for three days after that. It's a little much, but yeah, yeah, no, New Orleans for sure. That's great. That's great. We're on the same page. I feel like simpatico. I love this. Uh, if your life was a story, what would the title of the story be? Like if it was a book or something? Oh my gosh. I have no idea. I would, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be the one writing the story. So I, someone else would create the title and then I would tell them what's wrong with it. <laughs> That's like you got it all wrong. <laughs> that, 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 I can but see that being the I'm, title. I'm a good editor. I'm not a writer. <laughs> I dig it. Uh, yeah, it would, it would be something uh, for, I think for me, it would be something that's a meme or dad joke or, or something like that. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's the lane of it. And usually when it's someone's name, like it, it's taking from that. So I remember doing an interview with, uh, with this, uh, composer, uh, Ian Power. And I was like, I feel like the name of your bio is with great power. He's like, that's, that's really bad, dude. I was like, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> what what is the most powerful word in the English language? Hmm, powerful in what way? Um, hmm. that it elicits a response. Uh, like you know, what is a word when someone uses that? It's like, oh, it gets your attention, or have you? Like, I've heard yes is as having a really powerful word, um, being a po very powerful word, the same way as no is or love is, um, things of that nature. And it's interesting when someone defines why they pick that word. So. Whatever word you might be interested in, whatever word you think is um, powerful. Probably respect. Uh, let's see. So you mentioned some of the some of the foods has, has been really good. You talked about that earlier. Uh, what what what's a what's a what's some food that sticks out to you? Like I, I know it's been many a sets, many a craft services, what have you. But like, what do you what are you usually looking for at, at Crafty? Oh, I'm usually looking to stay away from Crafty. <laughs> That's great. You're looking to avoid, okay. I'm looking to avoid, yes. <laughs> and so this is the last one I got for you. Um, this, this is one I, I've, I've recently been using, and um, yeah, people have interesting responses to it. If So tomorrow, we're starting, days are no longer 24 hours, they're now 25 hours. What do you do with the extra hour? Oh, probably hang out with my pets. A little quality time action. A lot of people have been saying sleep. Yeah. Just just want to sleep. Nah. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> so um that's pretty much it for me with the real with with the questions and all um in the interview. And I want to thank you for coming on and and chopping it up with me and talking with me. And um if there's anything that that you want to plug in these final moments here, uh, I want to like invite you, encourage you to share, plug away. Any anything you have in the final moments. No, it's just been, it's been great talking to you. I'm glad we got to catch up. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Um, is there a social media or website or anything that you want to put out there before we wrap? Nope. I, I'm, uh, I'm pleasantly incognito. <laughs> I love it. I'm behind the scenes. Ah, producer. <laughs> no, well, you'll, 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 you'll see me when you see me. <laughs> I like it. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Nina Noble for coming on to the podcast and sharing some of her wisdom with us and walking through her career with us. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art in and around Baltimore. There's film in and around Baltimore. There's culture in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Music.